um, my grandmother passed away, the one that I shared country music with and also shared my birthday with. Um, she was my very best friend. Oh. And she passed away when I was 10. And after that, um, music was my was that thing that I still had for her, if yeah. that makes sense. It does like, make it was sense, absolutely. Of, of being able, because I always felt like I could tell her anything. Um, and so even my journal, like, I named it, like, Dear Nanny. And Colorado, Rocky Mountain's on a bad road. He swore that he loved me, so I gave him everything. And ten miles south of Boulder, he told me we were over, that he'd met somebody, and I'm just a Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living in the Limelight. I'm your host, Jay Huller. As a quick reminder, please follow us on Instagram at Living in the Limelight Show and check out our website at livinginthelimelight.com. And of course, you can find our podcasts through all the major streaming services, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Check us out also on YouTube at Living in the Limelight Podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation with a different artist where we delve into what makes them tick, and sometimes we get pro tips on pursuing a career as an artist. If you are a performer or know someone who is and would like to be considered for our show, check out the questionnaire at livinginthelimelight.com, and thanks so much for listening. Jennifer Alvarado is an international recording artist from Vail, North Carolina, and has amassed over 1 million streams on Spotify alone. Her music has a country sensibility with a pop current running through it. Her sound is a mixture of country pop and blues that reflect an eclectic blend of influences. Just some awards and current nominations include a nomination for the 2023 Carolina Country Music Award for Female Artist of the Year, which will be awarded in January 2024, a nomination for the 2023 WVIU Music Award for Favorite Christian Country Song, and awarded Silver Entertainer of the Year at the 2023 International Singer-Songwriter Awards, where she was nominated for seven awards total. And on and on and on. So sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation with Jennifer Alvarado about songwriting, stage performing, storytelling, and sharing a message with others in a meaningful way. Hi, Jay. Hello, Jennifer. Great to meet you. How are you doing tonight? I am okay. <laughs> Well, that's good to My hear. My throat's a little sore, so uh, anyway, but yeah. it's, it's just... It's, it's Actually, let's, let's go even. right into that, because I do face that um, quite a bit with some of the artists I talk to, and I know um, from an outside perspective, it's like, oh, okay, well, they'll be fine in a day or two, but um, can you talk about like the strain that actively performing has on the voice and what you do to kind of work around it? Yeah, Um so for me, it's not really, usually my voice is not giving me problems. Um, I, so I feel like I was sick, like all of November with something. Mm -hmm. So part of that was just being on the road and your immune system gets down anyway. And, um, my husband ended up bringing home like a GI bug. And then I ended up going back to Nashville and bringing back some kind of respiratory thing that everybody seemed to have mm -hmm. up there. And uh, so we went through that. And then right after Thanksgiving, I wound up with a different type of flu, um, oh. which then he got. 
And then we had people over um, at Christmas, people staying with us. And, you know, of course, everybody coming in and out of your house, they all have germs. Absolutely. And someone had a respiratory thing. And so we got that too. So uh, it's, it's been a fun season thus far. And, and so for me, I think because you are around so many people in cold and flu season, like it's just, it's everywhere. And plus, I'm, I'm a worship pastor. And so I'm around a lot of people at church too, with choir and all that. And they've all been sick. So I think it just kind of happens. Usually with, with impact, my voice, even with pneumonia, I was still able to sing. Like, it didn't really affect my voice. I know that sounds weird. But, like, I've always, for years, I've um, tried to not call. Mm-hmm. One thing that I learned when I was, like, 12 or 13 years old was to swallow and not actually cough because it can be hurtful. If you're coughing too much, it can be hurtful for yeah. your vocal cords because they're basically clashing together when you do that. And so I was told really early on, don't call. And I, I will say that this season I have called a lot. And I don't know if that has caused some of the vocal strain um, because I just wasn't used to it. But, I mean, typically my voice kind of stays intact. And this year has just been different. So, um but yeah, there are times like when I've gone seven days straight or something, by the end of it, yeah, your voice kind of goes out. Yeah, I, I will say a lot of that is technique, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like anything, if your immune system is attacked by multiple fronts, I mean, I don't know anyone that could withstand that. And uh, it sounds like you are are busy in in lots of different areas, and that's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 hard not to hard not to pick up something. So, um, yeah. I wanted to know kind of in, in related to that. So as a working musician, as a performer, um, Mm -hmm. when something physical like that happens, um, Mm -hmm. does it, are you, are you able to, at this point in your career, like step back, um, kind of like on a definite basis, or do you feel pressure to like, um, okay, well, I don't feel great, but I'm going to go take this gig real quick or whatever. Do you, do you feel like an urgency to, um, to go perform when you're not feeling a hundred percent or I don't know, maybe a related question is their drive to go perform so strong that it, it compels you even if you aren't at a hundred percent. Yeah. I think for me, um, I, I am a workaholic. I know that. Um, <laughs> I, I was a workaholic even when I was, I was a paralegal. Um, and you know, it didn't matter what was happening. I was going to work. So, for me, yeah, I push myself, and and honestly, that's sometimes why I get sick. It's because I go and I and I go, and then I may have a couple of days off, and it's like my body just falls apart, and it's like, what are you doing? Like, right. and so that's part of the reason I like to keep going because it's like I hold off sickness. So, yeah, for me, there is that. I don't want to disappoint anybody. I think it's a. I mean, it is, it is totally a pressure I put on myself. Because I've been in enough situations that people are like, look, you're sick, it's okay. But even when I was a worship leader, I mean, I, I remember getting up there and singing and leading worship with pneumonia. Um, oh and I went to the green room and was, you know, coughing and carrying on. And But I think because I love it so much, I don't, 
it, there's, I don't know if everybody has this, but I've always had this fear of, um, if I don't show up, if I, I, I know that there's so many people that would love to be doing this. And, and I think of it, like, I feel it's a gift to be able to do this and to be able to do something you love. And so there's always that fear for me that somebody else is standing in the lane. And mm-hmm. if I let go of this opportunity or misuse it or whatever else, somebody's going to be there to pick it up. And so for me, it's part of it is that fear of just, I've got to go do it. I need to go do it. I need to be there and show up and know that it matters to me and all of that. I admire that wholeheartedly. And I, and I think you're right. Um, I'm no expert, but I know, um, just a handful of people really in my life that would, you know, they, they show up, they show up just every time. And they're, they are Mm -hmm. there for the people that they're working with or serving. And I really, I admire that. I I consider myself mostly that way. My wife is certainly that way. And it it sounds like you are. And I I think that's great um, until the point where it, you know, it jeopardizes your health and you're not as a, a effective, you know, delivering of the music or delivering of the message or the sharing and whatever. And so, um, when I will say this, one thing that has helped me is like, a couple things, actually. I don't want to push myself to where I'm not showing Like, even when I show up, you're only getting 50% of me because I'm sick or this or that. So there is that, that I, I want to show up completely. And part of that is remaining healthy and, and not, you know, spreading myself so thin that nobody's getting the best of me. Okay. And the other thing too is honestly, I I started working a few years ago at a um, predominantly older congregation for church. Mm. And um, so with COVID and everything else, like it became very important that if you're running a fever, if you're if you're sick in any way, I mean that could be life or death for somebody. And so it really hit home for me that I don't, I don't want to make anybody sick. And I think that has really changed, you know, with COVID and and since then that people are more aware that, yeah, you may be okay and you may feel like showing up, but nobody else wants to be sick because of it. And so that, that's one thing I keep in mind too at this point is that if, if I have a fever, I'm not going to go. Like if it's something that I feel like could be spread or something like that, I'm not showing up. Um, and, and I'll let them know. And I'll try to, and the other thing I do is I try to find somebody to fill in because I don't want to leave anybody in a bond. Absolutely. Like that's the last thing. I'll- that's really great. I love that. Yeah. That's, that sounds very rational. And, and, and again, it's actually the same thing in my mind as your thoughts are on on the purpose of what you're doing and destination. If and you're not going to be the right person for it at that time, you're, you're covering your bases and finding a sub. So I think that's great. Yeah. Well, I would love to go back. Um, I usually start yeah. these with, the, um, with like the origin story and, and where music came from and, um, and okay. why the desire to, to get on a stage in the first place. So um, if you could roll back your memories to, uh, to that we age um, and kind of describe where where music and and really kind of the purpose of this podcast living in the limelight is just 
it, it's a special spot. You are on a stage somewhere, be it at church or at a big venue or whatever, and the, mm-hmm. the spotlights are on you. And it is not for everyone I've found. It's certainly not for me. But um, what, what's calling you to to share and to produce music and to deliver messages? What What's driving you? Yeah, so I, I started doing music when I was really little. Um, I started writing when I was about four, which I know most wow. people are like, yeah, whatever. But, uh, I mean, I did. I started making up songs and stuff, um, recorded on my Fisher Price. Um, take <laughs> yeah. I figured out that I, I could hit record and it would actually record my voice. So I was that's all I needed. Um, but even before then, I just, I loved music. Um, before I could talk, I was singing and making sounds and, and all of that. And um, I, I don't know. I just always gravitated to music. And I think that, too, my grandfather, he played multiple instruments. Mm-hmm. And so there was always music at his house. Um, and I was with my grandparents a lot growing up. And so I think because that was just the environment, too, um, you grow up with an appreciation of it and it becomes almost second nature to you. So I, you know, started writing, making up songs, would go to their house, always be listening to country music with my grandmother. We would sit there and watch like CMP and watch music videos and um, always had it on in the car. And there was always just, um, I, it's not that I wanted to be on a stage per se. Mm-hmm. It's there was something about somebody singing and just being able to tell a story that was very um, mesmerizing to me. I remember, I think I was like seven, and we went to Reno for um, my parents took me out there for my birthday, but it was also like a computer convention or something i don't know and while we were there there was a lady in the hotel bar um and the hotel bar was like open um because it was right next to the casino Mm -hmm. and were there was a like railing um and of course like i'm not allowed in the casino or the hotel bar but i was able to sit on this railing and watch her sing and I was absolutely mesmerized. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Like, I had, like, swore at seven, I'm going to, like, go work at the MGM Grand and sing in the hotel bar. So, um, I don't know. It wasn't necessarily that she was on stage or anything like that. It was just the fact of being able to sing songs and enjoy the music. And so that's really what's always been my go-to and 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 two i think when i was around 11 12 um my grandmother passed away the one that i shared country music with and also shared my birthday with um she was my very best friend and she passed away when i was 10 and after that um music was my was that thing that i still had for her if that makes sense it does make sense absolutely of being able, because I always felt like I could tell her anything. Um, and so even my journal, like I named it, like Dear Nanny. And and I would sit there and I would write lyrics and stuff. And it was like I was writing to her. 
because it was that connection I had. And I, I think being an only child and then also just, you know, middle school hard for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. And girls are mean. Like, <laughs> oh, they're worse than guys by far. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, girls can be really mean in middle school. And so I would come home and I would just, that was my solace. That was my my little safe place where I could say anything I wanted. I could write about anything I wanted. But then also I would listen to other artists and their words. And it was like, I had this connection with people I'd never met, but they, I felt like they knew exactly what I was going through uh-huh. and had the say to me. Because that was the one thing with, with my nanny that she always, was able to say the right thing to me. And so it was, that's what I found with music, was finding the right words. And I think that that's what's always drawn me to music, is that really, I mean, I think the saying is, you know, where words fail, music speaks, or something like that. Mm. And that's so true, because even if the lyrics aren't speaking to you, like the music can. Yeah, it's a... Um it's it's such a um, multi-sensory experience because obviously the music's going in your ears, but you on the on the railing and in Reno watching live that brings in all all the other elements really, um, except for perhaps taste. And uh, I that's what I was it was prompting in my mind and the thought because you described um, watching CMT with your grandmother, but then you were mm-hmm. like blown away listening and seeing someone do it, um, which you'd seen hundreds of times before on a screen, but then there they were in front of you sharing stories and, and right. you, you connected with that in a, in a much direct way because much more direct way because you were right there. And I, I think that's really cool. No one's really put it that way before because there is a difference between live music and just something intangible like a screen. And uh, I really appreciate that. It's really cool. So yeah. that, that pushed yeah, you that along. Was a- I'm sorry. Go yeah. Ahead. Definitely. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That definitely, I mean, that definitely pushed me along. Um, but for me, like, it, it was always about the storytelling. Um, and whether that was the lady who was singing the songs, but then also interacting with the crowd, mm-hmm. um, and bits about herself, or if it was just the lyrics in general, like, that storytelling was what I always gravitated to. And do you think that storytelling is something that is, um, essential because I know you've worked in Nashville and you live in North Carolina and so mm-hmm. you've you're embedded in the the country music industry um do you think that storytelling is an absolute essential component to a good song or can you do a song that just got a really quick good beat and a hook and all of that and not really say much and would you say that's a good song or does it need to have does it need to walk the listener through something I think for it to really connect and to have life long after a trend, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it needs to have a story. I, I and I, I think about songs like Independence Day mm-hmm. or Strawberry Wine mm-hmm. or that. I mean, they're decades old at this point. And they still uh, have plenty of life. More than that. And they have plenty of life. Exactly. Because it's a story that people, even if they don't relate to it, they remember it. 
And and I think too, something like strawberry wine, people automatically think back to like summer, you know, two thousand somewhere in there, like nineteen ninety six. But like they remember sort of what they were doing when they were teenagers or whatever. Right. And and I'm not saying that that can't. I'm trying to think of just like a, a song that's out right now that's super catchy. I mean, you look at like Poker Face, that <laughs> Lady Dog. Out. That's that's yeah. the first thing. Can... Or instrumental music, for that matter. Yeah, or instrumental music. Like those songs still have a place, mm-hmm. and and but don't feel like they have the. I don't feel like they have the pull and the nostalgia that a story song will have. And and I think that people struggle with that sometimes outside of country music because, you know, the country music has always been about the song. Yeah. Also, or not the song, but the, the, the story. story. Yeah, the, and because it's about real life and it's about relatability and, and people want to relate to something. They want that, authentic, that authenticity and that, um, memory, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, other genres have never, you know, I think about pop. Pop music, it, it is about the beat. It's about something like that. Um, but country music, for the most part, has always been about the story. And so I think with recent trends, there was that trend of becoming more kind of country pop and, and being, you know, your short little three minute song that. Mm-hmm maybe says the same thing 10 times and then <laughs> that's just it like i don't want to criticize anything no, 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 I, think I get you and i didn't mean to pin you in that way and oh no 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 no, no. I, you didn't. I think it's and what you're speaking to and you can say how you feel on it is we were all we're all kind of a product of our environments and you exactly. have been drawn toward those stories um and yeah. it, it's funny because i see people who say, oh, country music, and they, they talk down about it. And they're like, oh, it's got three themes. You know, it's got this, this, or this, and that's it to it. But if you really delve and listen to the story, there's always exactly. a there's always a profundity there. And it uh, sounds like that's what you're searching for. So when you sit down to write music, um, would you begin from your journals? Would you begin from notes and the, the story itself? Or are you a, a music creator with on the piano or guitar, what instruments do you play? And then, then kind of pair that with a, some lyrics that yeah. you've been tossing around. So when I first started writing, I, I played a little bit by ear with piano um, and even guitar. My grandfather showed me a few chords, but it wasn't until I really started um, playing guitar that I started writing more with that. Yeah. But uh, I, I think when I was younger, um, I, I journal a lot. And so a lot of my writing was more along the lines, I guess, of like folk or Americana from the standpoint that it didn't really have a hook. Um, it was thought it, it, it had a flow, but it, it wasn't commercial by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And then as I got older and I started, um, doing a lot of worship music, especially with worship music, especially contemporary worship, it's like three or four chords, and that's about it. <laughs> and um, there's nothing wrong with that, but right. that's that's what it is. It's four chords, and um, 
you know, you have a lot of like repeated verses and, and stuff like that because mm-hmm. you're with the congregation to sing with you and to be able yes. to learn it within one or two times of hearing it. Um, and so because of that simplicity, I started sort of modeling that with a lot of things. And then of course, like with commercial music in general, there's a lot of that. There's, there's a hook. And so I really started trying to craft hooks. And so I will say now, usually, um, I will start with a hook. Mm-hmm. Um, or even if I go into a co-write with somebody, I'll either they or I will say something like, okay, here's some ideas I've had. Do we want to stick around this theme? So even if it's not a hook of sorts, it's, it's a general idea. And we kind of start from that standpoint. Um, sometimes I start directly with music. I'll get a melody in my head of some sort and the chords and all that. And I'll go back and add lyrics later on. Um, or somebody will say something and that becomes my hook. And I sort of build the story around that. But, but typically speaking these days, it's more of starting with that hook that you just, or that riff. Um, because yeah. it can be a melodic book, if you will. So I, that's where I kind of start from. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, it's so interesting to me because I know we, um, I say we, I'm not in the industry, but the performers have to kind of tote the line between um, just full going out with what you want to say and how you want to say it and mm-hmm. considering the commerce aspect aspect of it and will it sell and will it be popular and so mm-hmm. is that, is that like, I think I heard you mention this, is that some conscious decision you make? Well, I'm going to have a hook. I'm going to have a riff that's memorable and I'm going to quote unquote commercialize the song a little bit, but then I'm going to infuse what I really want to say and how I want to say it. Is it something like that or is, is it just happens the way it happens? Honestly, it depends. Um, if I'm writing for somebody mm-hmm. or I'm writing with, with an idea in mind, um, and, and I will say it's harder. When you go in and you start putting those stipulations on there of, because I'm bad about saying, like, this has to be the best song ever like before, <laughs> I start, before I sit down to write. And then, like, you put all this pressure on yourself and right. you can't write it. So, so I will say that I try not to go in thinking this has to sell or anything like that. Um, or, you know, it needs to have this, this, and this to be able to be considered commercial and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. There's certain rules that once you start writing a certain way, you just gravitate toward that. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it almost becomes second nature in a way, at least it, it has for me. It's almost just become this thing of like, because other people have told me hook-wise that like, and, and part of it is I've performed with a lot of like other folk artists and stuff mm-hmm. where they don't really have that commercialized hook. And so it's foreign to them in a, in, in a way. Um, it's not something that just pops in their head where mine is just kind of there. I kind of, figure out that line and, and that's where I'm going. Um, and, and there's good and bad with that, right. honestly, because they see it as it's like 
less authentic in a way. Um, and like more formulaic almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where I see theirs is like, well, I can't catch on to what you're thinking. <laughs> so it's, it's that, you know, it, it really, I, what I try to do is if the song, um, a lot of times if I'm writing a song, for example, I wrote a song about my grandmother and it became more of a folk song because there was a lot of things that I wanted to say and it just didn't feel like something that would have this like outstanding hook that everybody could just catch on to, if that makes sense. It does. So I try to stay honest to what the song is about and what it, what I want it to reflect in a way. And if something like a hook or making it commercial is going to take away from, from the point of the song and the emotion of it, I don't want to do it. Um, I, I want to leave it where it's special to me. Um, and so I try to stick with that. But I think just second nature, the more you start to write hooks and, and commercial, quote-unquote commercialized music, mm-hmm. It does. It becomes second nature. You don't think about it. I can imagine just like, you know, developing a skill in sports or whatever, you develop a skill in, in music and then the in the business side of it in the sense, well, that that song was really well received and I was able to compone, put these components together to make it happen. And so you write another one similarly and then right. muscle memory, you start to do it naturally, um, which begs the question, I wonder, I think about this for actors too, which... Um, mm-hmm trying to get some actors on this show because they're stage performers as well is like if you have somebody who's directing you like they've got a director for a movie and you might have a manager or somebody who who guides you or who, who mentors you and says things I wonder at what point like you just mentioned do you have to compromise a little bit if they say oh well you need to do this you need to act this way or you need to have this in your song and then you have at some point where you've got to draw the line in the sand and say, well, this is coming, it's going away from what I really want. Have you right. bumped into that? Have you found that to be true? Are you, you're in the position right now where it's just, it's devolving kind of the way you want and you're able to maintain that um, as an indie artist, like uh, the independence and the, um, the, the say so. Well, and I'll, I'll say it this way. The, so I'm, I'm a member of an organization where you can submit your song mm-hmm. and get feedback from. And there's a lot of times that I'll get feedback from them that is basically like, well, it needs to be like this. It needs to be more structured. And I've, and I've written with other artists that are part of that organization that sit there and count the number of syllables on each line and make oh, wow. sure that it yeah and for me um i I get it i get that there's rules Mm -hmm. um but i think that that takes away from the art too and so i think that there is a very fine line between being able to create a well-crafted song um but also still have emotion and and authenticity with it and so I, there's a lot of roles that, and part of this was because when I was, when I first started writing, I didn't know these roles. Right. I just wrote, I wrote what I felt. And so I never want 
to I'm never going to sit there and change a song because one line has seven syllables and the next one has eight mm-hmm. and they all should be you know seven or yeah. whatever the count is because to me I just think that's ludicrous. Like, I, I, I understand the point, and I think that those rules are in place, especially for people that are starting out with writing and need that kind of structure. Mm. But I think that it also can have very limiting effects on the art in the process. Right, because if you're searching for words or if you're new to a rhyme here or a certain phrase there, you, and you're defined by the parameters of a number, then... Yeah, it can be exactly. limiting. I understand that. Yeah, and I, I'm glad that you're able to stand up to that, um, not in a, doesn't sound like a defiant way, but like, you know, you've come at it naturally. You're like, I just love music, and this is the way. And and clearly, I mean, if you look at the Spotify numbers alone, lots of people love your music. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't have to be um, exactly along those those formulas to be accepted and loved by people. So, um, But I, I do also appreciate what you said about the young um, starting out people who need structure um, because that, that oh, yeah. helps, helps yeah. give them the spot. Very cool. Well, I just, and I, I think it is. I think it's a tool. I think it can help you be better. Um, and, and I think a lot of times it's because people have ideas and you start being so wordy that it does cause a disrupt a disruption to the flow of what you're what you're trying to present. And I get that. But I also think that there's a, a way to kind of to be able to express yourself in such a way. And it might be bending a phrase. It might be how you pronounce something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think for me, in comparison to like a co-writer, because I've, I've had a co-writer from like the Midwest before, and just dialects are different, oh, yes. okay? So, like, I may say something in three syllables, like one word that's going to be fine. Good old but South, I'm southern, right? And, yeah, I have a twang, and so I can bend that till the cows come home. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's something else that people don't really think about, is that when you're singing a phrase, like, you may bend things, and you may say things a certain way, and that's okay, because it makes it yours, and it, it makes it your voice. So... Yeah, I just, I think that there is a limit to rules sometimes where it all of a sudden no longer sounds like the person. Mm-hmm. And I want to always be sure that it still sounds like me. It still sounds like my art and not just a big old checklist of, yes. of what it should be. I like the way you phrase that, the checklist and seeing if everything is satisfied. Um, and you've mentioned co-writing several times, and I've, I've spoken to others about it, and I, I mm-hmm. think I kind of I understand the purpose and, and the need. Is it, a, um, is it an expectation for developing artists to do, or is it something that um, you feel like it's an absolute necessity that you get a lot out of it? What, for you co-writing, um, how do you kind of, how would you frame it in terms of your developing career? For me, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Kyra. <laughs> I figured and you I, did. So, well, and I say that because, so starting out, of course, like I was just writing kind of for myself and by myself. And um, I 
ended up, I was on kind of a writing team for um, worship music at one point. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were some things that happened that really just put me on the defensive with co-writing and caused me to not trust a lot of people um, oh. because of And so essentially what happened was I've been um, joining an organization that allowed me to kind of meet other co-writers and other other like-minded people. And since then, you know, I've been going to rounds in Nashville and everything and you meet people. um, And all of those fears have kind of gone away. You still have kind of that wall up of like what's going to happen. But for the most part, it was just a difference of people. It was a difference of environment Mm -hmm. and, and people's, um, I guess, goals and and their agendas. And so I I don't have that hate anymore that I had. (laughs) Um, It it has changed. And and I think for me, I still love writing on my own. Like I I never want to stop being able to do that Um, because a lot of it is processing for me. It's it's processing feelings and things that have happened and, and trying to understand people and all that. So that is a therapy for me in itself. Um, but for me, I love writing with other people at this point because you get another perspective and I may go in with a certain idea of a song and think that it's headed, you know, one way and somebody says something that just completely changes the course of it. And I think that your writing can be stronger with somebody else too, because things that you may be good at, um, we're bad at somebody else to be at. So, and I think too, with music these days, if you look at so many songs um, that are out now, they have four, five, six writers. Um, oh. I mean, it is it is hard to find any song on country radio, especially right now, that don't at least have three writers on. Wow, really. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, I'm sure that there's some that only have a couple of writers. I mean, like Fast Car, for example, Tracy Chapman wrote that, but, um, but there's a lot of songs that, you know, they have three, four, five, however many writers on it. Um, would you ever would, like the point where you had a team of writers and I think I know the answer to this already, but like someone doing the writing for you, someone creating the, the thoughts of stories and whatever, and maybe most of the music and and you, you know, come in there at the end and go, I think this would be, this makes like some executive decisions on the song, but then that would free you up completely to be the performer and the deliverer. Or is that too removed from the process for you? I have always said I would much rather be writing the songs than performing them. Um, now it's hard. It's hard to, especially when you put your heart and soul on a song mm-hmm. for somebody else to sing that it's hard. And, and I have had that happen and I've and not been completely, um, happy with yes. the end. I don't know what else to say, but I will say that if, if it came down to it and somebody said, you have to pick writing or singing, I'm going to pick writing every time. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I would much rather 
well, I wouldn't say much rather because I love both things. And, and I do love sharing songs and sharing stories. And I think that that's the part I love the most is the sharing of the songs and the stories. And, and that can but come in, love, in various ways, right? You could share that just the, like a poem <laughs> and hand it to somebody in a book form almost or through music. Is that what you're kind of saying? Right, right. Yeah. But I think for me, like it's, it's the creation process. Because it's always been, like, I remember going home and I, when I first started really, really writing in middle school, I would go home and um, it was almost like a math problem that I was trying to solve. Like, I was trying to create this story and just figure out all the parts. And I loved it. I loved the creation process. And I've always felt that way about it. There's something that's just, you know, I get excited about being in front of people and all that, but I also, I have that performance anxiety that kind of, um, I don't have that when I'm writing, I, if that makes sense. Like, I still oh, have course, this yeah. get from writing and creating um, without the anxiety part of the performance. Is the anxiety part um, really, really strong, and do you have mechanisms to cope with that or have you found it's 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 waning as you move forward or is it just a constant you're you know how would you classify it for you in in live performances yeah um so i've always said that if i am never i think it was little jimmy dickens he was talking about being nervous and always being nervous when he was performing the day that he stopped being nervous would be the day he quit and so I, I took that to heart when I was probably 10 years old. Um, and, but after my grandmother passed away, um, she, she was, she was my rock. So after she passed away and I was trying to do music, I, for years, um, for several years, I would get up to audition. I would get up to sing solos or whatever I had and just froze couldn't get the words out, couldn't get any sound out whatsoever. And it wasn't until I started taking voice lessons um, and kind of worked through that anxiety in itself that I started enjoying music again and started being able to do it. Um, I think over the years I've learned to, um, I've learned first off that with perfectionism, because that's, that's what mine stems from. It was the idea that I had to be perfect with what I was doing. That if I got up there and sang one note wrong or, or whatever, said one word wrong, the whole world was going to crash down. Right. So I, I had to work through that and realize that it's not about being perfect. Um, and the other thing, too, was I realized that it's okay to have the nerves. Um because it means you still care. Right, yes. And it, but it's, it's about keeping it in check. And so, yeah, I still, I, I had a gig yesterday, for example, and the whole way there, I was thinking, I'm nervous. I don't want to do this. Like, there's just times that I don't want to do it. And, I mean, just to be real honest, because um, yeah. I want to hide in the bathroom and, like, I don't know. But then you get up there, and within, like, the first 10 seconds of a song, it's like, okay i'm fine um and does the yeah does the audience help with that or hurt with that do you are you scanning the audience or are you sort of 
once the music starts, are you fully in the music? Are you looking to connect with the audience? How do they factor into the, to the anxiety issue? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because with, with the audience and and I learned this honestly with worship leading, like what you give them is what you're going to get back. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if you're standing up there scared to death, they can see that. Mm-hmm. Like if you fill in yourself and you're not comfortable, they can read you like a book and they're not going to be comfortable. And so honestly, I, I try to just like get out of my head and have fun because I know that that is going to be relatable and, and to come off and, and then, but yeah, you do. You, at least I do. I sit there and I watch people. I see who's singing along with me. I see um, the person who's gotten up to go use the bathroom 10 plus times. Um, the person that's sitting there with a weird look on their face. Like, I look at all that. Wow, um, I see it all. Wow. Not, if somebody's giving me a weird look, I try not to. <laughs> try not to give them any attention. Yeah, I try to just smile and move on with my day like you're gonna have that i mean i played a show probably about oh gosh i guess it was six or seven months ago at this point and as soon as i got there i realized that this this is not going to be (laughs) my people if that makes sense (laughs) it does like you just you you walk in and it's like oh where am i and that was a hard gig. I mean, the first hour, because I, I played a total of three hours, the first oh. hour seemed an eternity. And, um, you know, you just, you learn to figure it out. And you, and, and in, the, in those situations, especially, I kind of go into the music. And I realize that, you know what? It doesn't matter. Like, I'm here to to play music, to enjoy what I'm doing. And for the one person who seems to like me, like it's for them. And and you have to, you have to train, you have to talk back to those voices because you're going to have all kinds of voices come through your mind. um, When somebody's looking at you weird. And the thing is a lot of time they're looking at you weird because maybe they're thinking about something. Maybe they're watching a TV that you don't know is above your head. Like huh. there could be a thousand different things. Or they and could so, have lost their job today or something. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so that is one thing that my husband's a counselor. And so that has been a huge help in life. Um, because he, he'll be the first to tell me, talk back to that. Like he was telling me on the way to my show in Columbia yesterday, like talk back to that when I was saying I was scared and, and nervous and all that. Um, so he, he's a huge help to me. That's so cool. I love that, that, um, that you guys can, um, share the experience and also reflect on it at the same time. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I was reading something, um, that you had written on your questionnaire that, that jumped off the page yeah. to me about, and it kind of go, we're jumping back to the co-writing just a little bit here for a second, but you, quote, yeah. you said everyone you meet has something to teach you. And, uh, I wondered if you could flesh that out just a little bit because, I, I run across people who are, you know, for lack of a better word, buttholes, like they just have, and maybe like speaking of the last, that gig you were mentioning six or seven months ago, just is like the vibe of the room, the energy mm-hmm. is, is not, coll- you know, collaborating with what I feel. Mm-hmm. How do you, 
how did you, in that three-hour gig after the first hour was an eternity, how did you push through it? And I'm guessing you you ended up like, look what I did. I made it made it positive in the end. Like, what well, what are your steps to get information and if and and positivity from everyone that you meet? So for me, it's not necessarily positivity from everyone you meet. Okay, I'll take that word for out. Me, <laughs> it's, it's, so with that statement, what I mean is, even if a person is a butthole, <laughs> it at least teaches you what you don't, how you don't want to react to something. Oh, I got um, you. Yeah. When I've been in places where, because I, I feel like with a lot of people, what I've learned is there's little pieces of you in, in every single person that you meet. Um, and they may reflect something that you don't necessarily want to admit about yourself, but you might see it once you've met them and you kind of think about it. And so from that standpoint, there's been a lot of people I've met over time Um some of them have been mentors and, and uh, other other things, but uh, there's been those people that even if the only thing they teach you is how you don't want to react in a situation, that's what you're supposed to learn in that. And I think when you keep that in mind, um, even when you're going down the road and somebody pulls out in front of you, it, it makes you that much more aware of some of your actions. And how, okay, last time that happened and I accidentally did that, like somebody laid on their horn and gave me the finger and whatever else, it hopefully will make you kind of stop and take that moment to think they could be really having a bad day. They could be on their way to the hospital where they're saying their last goodbye to somebody. Mm -hmm. So maybe like give them a little bit of grace. And And I think that that's the thing, like, even with that situation that I was in, I just kept telling myself, you know, you don't know what kind of day these people have had. And the fact is that there were still people that were super nice um, and, and super encouraging and came up and sat there the entire show and, and other things like that. And so I never want to give um, certain people more credit or space than they deserve either mm-hmm. if that makes no it does yeah because there's there's a you don't want to let it let it amplify got to keep it contained right that's right. really that's beautiful the way you put that and 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 to me it speaks to your um to your to your worship leader self and to having grace and understanding with anyone from all walks of life you just uh that's a it's a it's a fundamental principle i think in the church is just can you um listen carefully to the person and share with them and not, not let them go down a a dark path, but instead help and, and, and show them, you know, more light. So that's awesome. (laughs) Well, and I think that that, I mean, honestly, that's, that's what music means to me too. Um, That's why I want to do this and why I have done this because, you know, I'm naturally an introvert. Um, like I said, I'd go hide in the back and fall if I could and still somehow get, you know, the love of music out there. But I think for me, it's always been about being able to somehow meet somebody where they are and and help them realize they're not alone. And 
so I think that that's even more why I sometimes have the reactions that I have and, and want to learn from other people because, again, I, I think that we're here to learn so many lessons in life and um, we're here to help each other. And you're not doing that if you meet somebody and, yeah, maybe they're a jerk to you, but you just kind of throw them to the wolves and say, you know, whatever, go spend for yourself. Which happens time and time again. We, oh, yeah. You and I both observe it. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, that approach is, is so cool. Um, I would love to move into your music specifically and go and yeah. visit the lovely state of Colorado if you see what I'm doing with that. Um, I'm actually, yeah. I've got a, an article pulled up here from, um, let's see, can't quite see the link, but they are going through your, through the lyrics. It's a website based out of the UK. And um, that story is, to me, is like a, a diamond of storytelling because of the, the imagery that just, it's so um, evotic and it just jumps in, I, I I, w- I watch myself going down that whole experience through your words. And um, so I'd love for you to talk when I talk to musicians about their music is just like anything and anything that like brought the song on the recording of the song itself, the, the things you've loved about what's happened with the song or just, um, just, just delve into Colorado for us and, and share. That'd be great. Yeah. So, so honestly, it came from, Wanting to know more of a story behind Tequila by Darren Shay. So if if you go back and listen to that song, it's about this relationship that every time he drinks tequila, he remembers this girl and remembers everything that was so great and and whatever else. Um, But you never get to the bottom of what happened in this relationship. Like if it was so great, like why did it end? And you can tell that there's, I guess, some regret on his end, but mm-hmm. you're not sure. And so I was left with just all these questions. Um, and I thought, I'm going to answer these questions for myself. <laughs> for you. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, that's, that's where it came from. And then, you know, most of the song was, was pretty much done. And I, I, I brought in my friend Molly to say, hey. I need you to kind of be my advisor on this and and see what works and what doesn't. And we kind of talked through the second verse and, and she felt like it needed since tequila was kind of the story. And I also felt this way, but didn't want to pull tequila directly in. Um, And so the whole sorority t-shirt and that kind of thing, I wanted to nod back to that song. Um, So, yeah, I mean, and then when I took it to my producer, um, I even said, like, hey, listen to, to Tequila, um, kind of for some inspiration on the production part of it. Because, again, I wanted it to kind of be a continuation of that story. Um, but obviously it's own song and, and different and, and from a female perspective and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's that's where it came from was just wanting answers, needing answers to a song that I love. That's great. I love that, and I think it's it's potentially again. I'm no pro. I don't know, I work in the industry, but it has the 
it has a livelihood to it to me. And it could be something that on down the road, people are going to point just like you're pointing to a song for inspiration for it. I think it could be a source of, um, of inspiration for someone else to kind of go, you know, I love the way that that is so um, illustrative of what I feel or how I experience something. I, I see myself in the sorority t-shirt or whatever, and they, yeah. and it spawns off a, a song for them. Would that, how, what would that do for you if an artist, um, and maybe it's already happened and probably has, but someone calls you up that you've never met and they're, um, they're going through the process. They're either a developing artist or they've made it. And they're like, you know what, Jennifer, it was your song, Colorado, that did it. What would that do for you? Oh, goodness. I mean, that would be a very humbling experience. I I actually had one of my friends who was writing a song. And she said, I started realizing that I was just copying um, one of yours. Like, it, it was my song, I Don't Want You Back. And she said, I realized that the melody was exactly yours. <laughs> So she went back to the drawing board, but I, I just laughed. Like I was like, that was, that's cool. Um, feel free to do what you need to do. Um, but, uh, yeah. And I think, I think anytime that you, cause I've, I've had people come up and tell me that stories I've told that they related to it. Mm-hmm. I think that I, I, for me as an artist and especially as somebody who I, I started doing this because I, just wanted to relate to people and wanted to have words to encourage somebody the same way that lyrics and people encouraged me. Um, So when, when that happens, it's kind of that full circle moment in a way of, of feeling like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm doing a little bit of something right. Um, (laughs) And my purpose. So, (laughs) well, I mean, but I think that that I think that that's the biggest thing is just wanting to know you're on the right path and wanting to know that you are living with purpose. I think that that's a huge thing for anybody is when we're searching through life is that we want to know what our purpose is. And um, if I can just kind of see that I'm I'm sort of on the right path here, like that's huge. Um, but it's very humbling to say the least if somebody relates to a song or something I've said just really hit somebody um, or hopefully helped them. Like those are huge things because again, that that's why I do this. That's the only reason I want to do it is to, to hopefully give back and, and be a positive. I think that's great. I love that because it's a, uh, it's, it's raw and um, organic, I guess is the word I'm looking for. It's just the, it's art for the, for the right reasons and not, um, you know, I'm going to paint a pretty picture and hope everyone buys it and I can <laughs> sit in my Hawaii beach home. <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> which, which does, does beg the question. I like to ask this, especially of, of artists in, in your position is like, if you could paint, um, take all the, the negatives away from the day or from life in general mm-hmm. and, and paint mm-hmm. exactly. You have a 24 hour period that could be repeated indefinitely and you've got the crystal ball and you've got the resources. What would you love to experience as a, as a performer, as an artist, as a writer um, that would like really fill your tank for um, personal enrichment and, and just know that like that feeling of I'm doing what I 
want to do and it's, it's affecting people? What would that day look like? I think for me, um, it would be the ability to to either have a publishing deal so I'm writing just every day mm-hmm. and then going and, and, and playing those songs for people. Um, but also, it would be that I'm seeing how that music is being a positive. So whether I'm... I'm actually going and, and volunteering somewhere or um, serving at church or whatever the case is, just being able to, to, to see that music in action. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might even be going and playing a show and seeing that music in action. But yeah, it would be, it would just be the creation process, being able to create every single day and, and be challenged. I love being challenged and, um, and I think that's why I love, honestly, the music industry. There's so many things that are kind of put off at times with the music industry, but ultimately it's the, it's the fact that it, there's a challenge involved. There's no guarantees. And I mean, it, when you're competing, the only person you should be competing with is, is yourself from yesterday or you know, an earlier version of yourself because there's no way of truly, people always ask me this question of like, how do you know if you're successful or, and I'm just looking at them like, I don't know. I have no idea. Like, or how is it going? And I look at them and I'm like, I have no idea. Like, every day is different. Like, you may have, a thousand people at a show one day and the next day you have two like there's no guarantees and I think that that's the beauty and the the challenge of this industry is that there is no guarantee there is no um one step like process or not one step but you know one process everybody's journey is different and I think that that's a really cool thing. And I think that that's why um, you have so many different artists is because you have all these people talking about their own personal journey. um, And you need to have that because the way I say something may not relate to somebody else. It, It may not come through, but this other person can speak life into them where I can't. And I think that that's, the beauty of of art and music. I, I love that because it clearly you're you're putting food on the table and you're taking care of yourself and you're happy and you're married and um and all the things kind of are in place. But there's that that intangible that is there in front of almost everyone I talk to, at least in the music industry, is like, well, I'm not signed, but I could be at some point. And that's something I've never explored with anybody on the show. But I'd love to since you mentioned it. Um, do you think there is uh, there are certain essential elements that a performer needs to get the attention of um, for a record deal, or do you think that it's just happenstance and you're gonna do what you do, like you said, and push forward and and love what you do, or are there certain things kind of like we were talking about earlier, where you have to put in pieces in the songs to make them a little more commercial are there things personally that an artist would need to do to set up the potential 
to get that attention and get that deal signed? I think so much of it is that you have a story to tell, um, that you have something that people want to know about. And I think, unfortunately, right now, um, there's so much emphasis placed on numbers. Mm. Um, and, And a lot of times, that emphasis on numbers has no direct reflection on somebody's ability to handle um, what they're given. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times people take that for granted. And I I think too, it also has no reflection on the quality of somebody's work. Um, And so I think that there's just a weird little dynamic right now where there's still that business side of, of people seeing numbers. And so all of a sudden it's like, ka-ching, um, this is the person that we need to focus on instead of looking at somebody who has a story to tell and has the work ethic. Because the, the fact is talent, numbers, all that kind of stuff, image can definitely get you in the door. Um, your work ethic and, and whether you can handle the BS and have the grit to um, get through a hard season, that's what's going to give you longevity and keep you in a room. Um, your integrity is what's going to keep you in a room, not whether you have 15 minutes um, on, on you know, a popular show or something like that. Right, right. Um, and, and I think that that, where there's kind of a disconnect sometimes um, people see the 15 minutes and they want to jump on that bandwagon for a little bit. But then if they realize that the artist isn't real, um, they're the first to jump off. And so I, I feel like, you need to have a work ethic. I think that that's so important. Um, you also need to have kind of your own voice because I, I look at artists that have been around forever and ultimately they, they do have a voice. They have their own art style. They're not trying to be a mirror image or a, a carbon copy of, of somebody else. Right. They have their own identity. And I think so much of what's going on right now, it, it's a trend. And so you have so many artists that are just carbon copies of another. And the fact is that when you reproduce stuff like that and mass produce things like that, it doesn't have a long shelf life. It is here one day while the trend is, is here and then it's gone because a lot of those artists don't know who they are. Um, and I don't, I don't blame anybody for that because I think that there's so many like get rich quickly schemes and whatever else in society today that yeah. is just not there. And, and we've become so kind of fame hungry in a way um, with social media and everybody being able to sort of give their opinion and their voice that 
a lot of times people don't have the time to develop their own thoughts and and their own identity in their music. That's fascinating to me because I, I I always tell um, I work with um, teenagers on, on the regular, and I always tell them mm-hmm. how you know the dangers of of this new world where it's the pros and cons. You can share anything you want to anyone across the globe in a, in a nanosecond. And then you might want to pull it back because you didn't want to say that the, the, the temptation to say something or to say something mean, especially. And, oh, yeah. um, but that then the other end of it is you can through SoundCloud and through all these other platforms, you can share in the moment live, you know, doing a live performance or whatever, uh, you know, just raw sharing. And so there's that, that great um, immediate side too of, of sharing who you are without any filters and, um, right. you've, you've grown up through that, um, as it's continuing to evolve, do you find, um, social media and this accessibility to be pretty much a, you know, good thing and a bad thing, or how would you, you know, describe that in terms of your own growth and being able to, um, connect with your followers and your fans? Yeah, I mean, I I think with anything, there's pros and cons, and I think I think social media as a whole has opened up a whole new world. I mean, think about it; it wasn't that long ago that it was we communicated by letters and sending right. letters. It took weeks at a time to to correspond with somebody. Exactly. So, I mean, now you're, and I think about I, I think about the pandemic and. Um, being able to do Zoom meetings with people all over the world. Like some of my, part of what got me back into co-write was the accessibility to be able to get on Zoom Mm -hmm. and meet with somebody across across the pond um, and write with them. And, And so it opened up a whole new world. And I think that that is a beautiful thing. And I think that if used correctly, it can help us um, to have a greater respect for people. But I also think that it has given people sometimes a false voice. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes people say things that they would never say to somebody's face. Um, and it, it can be very ugly when, when people kind of get that power to say what they want to say, but they don't have the capacity to think about it. Or like you said, they do it spontaneously when they're mad. And so they put things out there that otherwise they wouldn't have put out there. Mm -hmm. And so those are the, those are the dark sides that I see. The other dark side is the fact that it's opened people up for ridicule, for comparison, um, I think even more these days, there's so much comparison that goes on, goes on, especially with artists and, and females in general. I mean, there's so much comparison that happens. And I, I think, too, um, along with social media is the presence of filters and, and whatever else. So even when people post things, you don't know how much is true and what isn't. And, and I think that that can be very damaging and hurtful to a lot of people too. Um, so again, there's positives, there's of 
course positive, but there's also, and, and I think when it first started, even, um, I think people thought about what it would do as a positive to get people connected mm-hmm. and, and, and all of that. I don't think that there was ever, I, I mean, I may be wrong, but I don't think things like Facebook were created to, to one day be the source of bullying or whatever else. But I think, like anything, human nature, we start kind of messing things up in a way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I hear exactly what you're saying. That, and that's a whole other conversation and in, in, in what's yeah. happened to news in general and how to find it and make sure it yeah. has no bias. And yeah, um, I, I get you on that for sure. And, I, and that was very well spoken. You, you framed it perfectly because I'm, I'm right in line with what you were saying. Well, I'd love to finish off um, with just, um, you know, a list of of how you connect with the people who are following you and maybe especially like um, what kind of fan um, is typically the one who follows you and that you look to kind of um, connect with because um, I think you're, you're, I can hear it in your voice, you're genuine and you want to be meaningful with people and so are you more Instagram? Are you more Facebook? Do you like to blog? Um, what, where's your like outlet where you people, if they reached back, you would, you would. Yeah. So typically I'm on Facebook or Instagram. Those are, those are kind of my two big ones. Um, I need, and I'm going to be doing more on TikTok. Um, I have tried to push TikTok off for so long. <laughs> and I know as an artist, yeah, I, I'm sure it. they're like, yeah, I can't ignore it. And I'm, everybody's like, seriously, like get your act together. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start doing more on TikTok, but yeah, Instagram, Facebook, especially Facebook, that seems to be where I get kind of the most traffic and the most conversations and stuff like that. So definitely look me up on those. It's Jennifer Alvarado music. Um, very simple. Um, but also, I mean, even on my website, um, there's a way to contact me on there mm-hmm. if you have questions or just want to say hi. Um, I actually would love to plug your, um, sorry to interrupt you. I want to plug your, um, courses too, because I was delving in there and noticing in your shop area that you offer mentoring, you offer class on, um, you know, music writing in general and, and lyric support. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I actually have not done much much with that the past year because I was on the road so much. But yeah. um, but definitely, we'll definitely chat about that. But uh, yeah, JenniferAlvarado.com is the website and it's got links to everything on there. Um, and then also, I do have a blog on there. It's called In the Waiting Community. Um, and basically, that was something that I started a few years ago um, that honestly started as sort of a project to encourage myself because I was in a waiting season of, of music and trying to figure out what steps were next. And I realized that if, if I was struggling with that, somebody else probably was too. Um, so I just wanted to to kind of start that blog with some scripture, with a story, that kind of stuff and, and how, you know, faith plays such a huge role in my life that mm-hmm. sort of I was going through in that season to, um, hopefully give encouragement to somebody else who may find himself in a similar season. But um, the blog is on there. I honestly have not, I, I don't think I've written an article in six months. So I, it's definitely not updated. Um, but 
hopefully I will get to that thing. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, the, the last one was July 5th. And, um, yeah, but, but, yeah see. but I, no, I totally get it because you, you know, you, you got to do, uh, life and, and, and pay the bills and whatever. And, but you should know that, that things like this, although maybe millions of people aren't looking at it, um, hopefully more will after this is, this podcast goes out, but you know, it's every little bit and, uh, I'm, I'm with okay. you on sharing wherever you can in a meaningful way and, and hoping it helps. And, that fundamentally is the number one thing I admire about you most is that you, you give and you don't expect anything in return. You just have something to say and you have something to share and you let it land where it is. And it seems to be working. Thank you. No, I mean, like I said, it's, it's about that one. It's about that one connection. Yeah. If you can speak life, hopefully into one person and help them feel like they're not alone, then that's all that matters. That's so amazing. I would love to, this is just occurring to me. I'd love to connect you with, um, someone who's been, I mean, I could say a friend of mine for a few years. Um, and her name, she's in the, in in the business with you. Um, her name is Sarah faith. Um, and just look her up and, um, and, and, and check her out because she shares a lot of things, does music. And, um, she also does like, um, hair care stuff too. And it's a fascinating person, but I, I parallel you too, because she, when she speaks, it's a very similar, um, uh, intention, the intention of, of just, uh, delivering, um, and sharing in a, in and making growth happen between people. So, um, yeah, I'll definitely look her up. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, Jennifer, it's been a, Extreme pleasure. I love talking with you and I can't wait to kind of see where things go with, with you and, and on down the road. Um, I'd love to have you back on if, if you've got some life changes and new music, uh, I'd love to reconnect and kind of stay in touch that way. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for taking your time. I Abs- appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, please continue to, to put out the great music and to do all the things in your life that you seem to be doing that um, are making our world a better place because we certainly need more people like you. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate that so much. Absolutely. All right. It was super great. Um, Just bundle up tonight because I think your area and my area of the country are are facing a lot, a lot are facing that winter storm kind of rolling around. So um, stay safe and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. You too. Bye. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Or the altitude The July sky Was the only other one I knew We were chasing stars And freedom Wrapped in his arms Our hearts were beating Forever seemed so close When it was new Damn you Colorado Rocky mountains On the back road that he loved me So I gave him everything Then ten miles south of Florida He told me we were over That he'd met somebody And I'm just a memory So damn you Colorado 
thing From the chill of the night air To him kissing me In my sorority t-shirt and moonlit sky We planned out the rest of our lives Now it's all so bittersweet Ten miles south of Boulder, he said we. Really 